0: So Kevin, if you just tell us a little bit about how important sleep
1: is for an athlete to reach peak performance. Okay, Consistent, good quality sleep is essential for physical, mental performance and well-being. Um, By and large, most athletes who have reached a level that qualifies them for an Olympic Games have already been living with their sleep patterns for a substantial part of their career and really, oughtn't to have too much to worry about in terms of the adequacy of their sleep. What Olympic competition will do is provide a kind of temporary disturbance of normal sleep patterns, and I think it's that that needs to be addressed.
0: Okay, so just on that as well. So obviously, Japan is in a different time zone, mm. so you're going to have. The jet lag to deal with, what's the best way or the best way to cope with that as an elite athlete, coach, or practitioner?
1: Okay, let's just clarify a few terms here. Um, Long haul flights create two demands on our sleep that translate into other aspects of our uh, everyday performance. The first is called travel fatigue. This is the result of the ordinary demands of travel, getting up early in the morning, the rescheduling, the the tedium, and the stress of, of, of flying. And on arrival this will manifest itself as a feeling of weariness or fatigue, which is recovered after a single night of sleep. Okay? On top of that we have jet lag. Jet lag is the asynchrony, the lack of of concordance between our body clocks and the clock operating at the point of arrival. And that asynchrony affects everything. It affects when we feel tired, when we feel alert, when we go to the bathroom, when we feel hungry, okay? And it's these, these experiences that need to be addressed on arrival. Now, if the question is how best to mitigate these on arrival, what what can the athletes do? What can the, what can the support staff do to minimize these experiences? Well, there's a kind of three-point uh, low-hanging fruit option, and that is, and this is important, first of all, adopt local time as soon as possible, okay? Um, Try not to over-respond to what you feel is your body's need. If you do that, you'll be eating in the middle of the night and sleeping during the day, okay? Uh, Secondly, um, there is an intimate relationship between daylight and our feelings of sleepiness, and this operates through the hormone melatonin. Now flying east presents a particular challenge. The rule of thumb is that for every one or two time zones you cross, that's one hour time zones, you need probably 24 hours to recover. But going east presents a greater challenge than going west. And the reason for this is is interesting. Um, When you fly east, you shrink your day. When you fly west, you stretch your day, and it's simply the case that our circadian rhythm is happier when our our time is stretched rather than when it's shrunk. So flying east, flying to Tokyo presents a particular challenge to our circadian rhythm, and we can help to mitigate this by timing our exposure to daylight. In other words, telling our bodies when it should be preparing for sleep because the asynchrony, the jet lag, will be conveying different signals to our brain. Now, this doesn't mean uh, ad-lib exposure to daylight. It means, basically, try to avoid daylight during the morning, okay, because that will have the wrong effect on your sleep. Um, Try to avoid daylight in the very late evening, but try to capture daylight in the the mid-afternoon, probably between three and about six o'clock and this will help to advance your circadian rhythm. Your circadian rhythm is out by about eight hours, okay? Which means that ordinarily, when everybody in Tokyo, the local population, are sleeping at 11 o'clock, you're not going to feel sleepy until maybe six or seven o'clock in the morning. You've got to somehow tell your body to bring that back, and you can do that, you can help that by by exposing yourself to daylight in the, in the mid-afternoon uh, and avoiding daylight in the morning. That'll have the opposite effect. And the third thing, and this is something that if you're a, a, a member of the support staff, you can judge for yourself, and if you're an athlete, you really ought to, uh, you really ought to discuss this with your coach, but the universal way of managing the, the sleepiness and the tiredness associated with jet lag is caffeine consumption. Um, and it's a relatively healthy way to deal with everyday uh, troughs in, our, in, our, in our, uh, our levels of arousal. But uh, this can be very helpful uh, if you, uh, you just need to feel a little bit more alert at particular times of day. What you don't want to do is douse your system so that you can't go to sleep when you ought to go to sleep. But it's, it's, a, it's a lever that can be pulled by any member of the team.
0: So in theory would it help if you arrived on local time for the for 11 o'clock at night say so you can go straight to bed?
1: in in theory yes but theory can fall down i mean in order to there are some easier rules than that can be observed that would prevent you from having to try too hard to get exactly the right flight. One of them is the simple rule if it's nighttime when you leave your destination go to sleep on the plane if you can. Okay. Uh, the second thing is and this relates to another issue which is is it useful to resynchronize before you fly. Okay? Now as a rule um, that is it, it's horribly complicated uh, if you wanted to truly resynchronize, in other words, if you wanted to adopt Tokyo time before you got on the flight to go to Tokyo, you'd have to adjust not just your bedtimes, you'd have to adjust sort of your exposure to light and dark, your meal times, etc. Very complicated. But what you could do is advance your bedtimes. You could simply aim to go to bed one hour, maybe two hours earlier, which means also you get up one or two hours earlier. And most of us could still keep doing other things relatively normally, or maybe adjust a few meal times here and there. But this would stand you in good stead when you arrive, provided you obey the rule, adopt local time. Of course, if you don't adopt local time, you're wasting your time messing about with your bedtimes at home. So there are things you can do, there are levers you can pull, but I suppose on top of all of this is a very important message to send out. Don't be surprised when you arrive and you don't feel the way you normally feel when you arrive at at an event. You will be out of kilter with local time and that will have an impact. Expect it, confront it, deal with it.
0: We've also got some athletes, the swimmers here, who are going on Tokyo Time in Loughborough. Is that a good idea?
1: Yeah, if if it can be arranged such that they can maintain, uh, if you like, a consistent uh, pattern whereby they bring their bedtimes forward, they bring getting up forward, this will stand them in good stead. This is sort of it's making a contribution to the adjustment that would otherwise be made when you arrive at your destination. There is another factor here that ought to be taken into consideration though. When we talk about resynchronization, this works fine if you work in business or uh, if you work in some other occupation that has relatively uh, relatively predictable start and stop times. okay, Resynchronizing means basically adopting exactly what you did at home in th- the schedules you, you, you adopted at home in the destination environment. For events like the Olympics, we don't have control. Nobody has control in advance over when, for example, swimming heats are going to be held. Um, they might be held at times that are quite unusual for some of the competitors. They may be later at night, they may be much earlier in the morning, maybe to accommodate, uh, maybe to accommodate TV or, or just to accommodate access to the facilities. So it's, it's, it's a great idea to consider the, the generalities of adopting local time before you depart but you also have to keep in mind that there will be departures from normal routines even when you arrive. So there's another principle that kicks in here, and that's the need to maintain an adaptable response to fatigue and sleep need, even on arrival.
0: So there's been a lot of noise about the power of the power nap. Can napping help
1: athletes? Okay, Um, I think the biggest noise about the power of the power nap is the term power nap. Um, Look, naps are sleeps. Uh, No more, no less. Okay, So uh, whatever it is that young athletes do, uh, if they sleep during the day, they're napping. And in that sense, it has exactly the same status as an elderly person in an old people's home who don't ever get called Power napping, okay? But anyway, napping is valuable. And in, in, in elite sport, it, it, it kind of divides into two. About just over half of all elite athletes will habitually nap, and the other half tend not to. So some people are, if you like, skilled nappers. They know when to nap, they know how to nap, and they can reasonably be confident that when they want a nap, it's going to be there for them. So let's just put that to one side. There's another group who generally don't nap, okay? And this is a group that needs some attention because it begs questions about, well, they probably don't nap because they don't feel the need to nap. It's not that they, they attempt it and it doesn't work for them, it's just that they, they rarely attempt it. There are some athletes who attempt it and it doesn't work for them and they give up, okay? But the problem here with this latter group is jet lag will create excessive feelings sometimes of fatigue during the day. And if you respond to that with what will seem to be napping what you're doing in fact is going to sleep, you're going to bed, you're actually uh, responding to your circadian need and that will, if you like, confront the issue of going to bed at local times because you're depriving yourself of sleep pressure. So, what am I saying? I'm saying napping is valuable if it's disciplined and strategic. If you're an habitual napper, and you'll know this, um, your napping will be at a particular time of day, and it will be for a particular duration. Uh, My recommendation is that uh, of of many people in my position, 30 to 40 minutes maximum, no more than that. Otherwise, you'll find yourself uh, getting into a depth of sleep from which it's more difficult to recover. Secondly, given what I've said about the benefits of exposure to early afternoon—sorry, mid-afternoon—sunlight, um, try and avoid napping during those periods when you'd be better off just taking your sunglasses off and just enjoying the sunshine. Okay. So, uh, if you're going to nap, a disciplined nap, maybe after an earlier lunch between twelve and two. Um, if it's too late in the evening, you're starting to erode the sleep pressure you'll need to get to sleep in the evening and if it's too early in the morning it's just coupled with your last night's sleep, okay. But nevertheless it it could maybe be valuable even then but most of all avoid napping during the afternoon period and the reason for emphasizing that is that at home that's probably the most likely period when people will nap. It's when you reach this post-lunch dip and it's probably most comfortable and it's easiest to achieve a half-hour nap that feels restorative. But in a jet-lag situation, eight hours to the east, it's, it's, it's not an advantage. So all
0: those factors, is that why some people may nap and feel terrible and other people may nap and actually think, well, this is great, I feel brilliant now?
1: OK, we will assume that elite athletes who have progressed in their careers and still nap nap because it feels good for them, because it delivers for them, okay? And we can also make the reasonable assumption that those elite athletes who have qualified for Olympic competitions who don't nap, don't nap also for a purpose, okay? And trying to enforce or trying to compel people who already uh, avoid a particular behavior to do it because in theory it's good for them might be problematic. But it, it simply might be the case that for some athletes who don't habitually nap, um, coping with jet lag might more easily accommodate a strategic nap, that is to say a half-hour nap, no more than 40 minutes, um, if they feel sufficiently tired away from those three-hour periods, say 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., when they would be better off taking, uh, taking sunshine. I'll leave that one there. It's a a complex area because it reflects some constitutional and physiological preferences which are pretty well established in successful elite athletes. And it's not something about which legislation can be helpful. Uh, Saying this napping is good um, for everybody clearly isn't the case because There's a substantial number of athletes who do not habitually nap. And obliging them to do so is is obliging them to do something that they probably have already found out doesn't work for them.
0: So further on from that, if you're a coach or a support staff and you've got an athlete who likes to sleep until 10 o'clock today but still delivers Mm -hmm. compared to an athlete who gets up at 5, is it almost just saying, with regards to your sleep, you do whatever's good for you to make you perform
1: best? Okay you've got to approach this sensibly and I suppose what I'm trying to avoid here is the term I just used it's legislation it's saying this is is what you should do. Um, Within elite sport within my experience I'm, I'm, I'm a sleep scientist okay I came into the area of elite sport as a sleep scientist and I learnt about elite sport and what I learned very quickly was that sleep is quite different from those other, those other contributions and injunctions that work for athletes, okay? It's not a dietary supplement. Uh, it's not a, a training regime. And one of the things that makes it very, very different is that if I say this dietary supplement is good for your performance, all you've got to do, Dan, is take it. It's volitional. It's within your, it's within your gift to either take it or not take it. If I say, this training volume is ideal for your particular particular event, and all you've got to do is decide to engage with it or not, it's volitional. If I say, this much sleep is good for you, well, in theory, that might well be the case. But it's not volitional. You can't say, oh, in that case, tonight I'm going to have eight hours sleep. That's not the way sleep works, okay? if I said, deep sleep is probably going to be good for your event, you can't go to bed and say, oh, like tonight I'm gonna to have four hours of deep sleep because my coach says it's good for me. Sleep doesn't work like this. It works the way it works, okay? So if we reverse engineer the response to your question and say, okay, if you're an elite athlete and you've qualified for the Olympic games, Let's make a few assumptions. One of the assumptions would be that whatever you're doing as regards your sleep has already delivered for you, okay? That doesn't mean it's not going to wobble under circumstances of stress, which will be present, under circumstances of jet lag, which will be present, okay? You're normal, but other things being equal, whatever sleep, whatever sleep routines and patterns you've adopted over the last five or ten years, have probably delivered for you already, and it 's not going to be in your interest for me to say, actually, you should be sleeping like that athlete, okay and they sleep eight hours and you only sleep seven hours and um, give yourself an extra hour, then you can go away and puzzle how do I do that? You know I go to sleep, I wake up when I wake up you know um, i don 't make it happen, it just happens so there are individual differences and individual preferences now. Let's get on now, let's move away from that and focus instead on, well, what about when sleep responds to the perturbations of stress, to the perturbations of of, of jet lag? Huh, now you're talking, um, you're talking rectifying something that has become a, a universal experience, however much you sleep. And that's where advice of the kind that I'm trying to provide now can be useful. But Advising somebody to adopt a completely different sleep pattern suggesting that uh, this amount of sleep is, would be better for somebody when they've perhaps, perhaps never achieved that sleep throughout most of their adult life is unrealistic and it's unhelpful.